And welcome to a very live version of the Radical Reverend Show. We're so happy to be back in studio. Ah, love live radio. Uh, and to you out there in listener land, thank you. Uh, in fact, it was one of you that made the suggestion for the topic of the first half of the show, which is uh, to look at land acknowledgements. And to do that, we're going to start with a clip. This was from the agenda. It's uh, my friend and yours, Steve Pakin, interviewing Cliff Cardinal. And uh, anyway, just listen up to this. Before many public events in Canada, including plays and other performances, organizers make a formal statement acknowledging the historical and enduring relationship of Indigenous people to the land where the event is taking place. Over the next month, audiences in the provincial capital will experience that in a whole new way, as playwright and actor Cliff Cardinal interrogates the practices in his new one-man show. It's called The Land Acknowledgement, or As You Like It. And Cliff Cardinal joins us now here in the studio. Great to meet you. Hi. Thanks, Steve. Thanks it's for having me. It's lovely to have you here. Let's, uh, shall we play a little clip of the play before we get started? Let's take a look. What'd you get? <laughs> we'll let you know. Sheldon, <laughs> if you would, let's roll it. They asked me to do the land acknowledgement today. I hate land acknowledgements. I find them so goddamn patronizing. You want me to come up here with my feathers and my beads, bless your little event, tell you you're woke? So I said I'd be delighted. <laughs> what do these land acknowledgements accomplish? Aside from making white people feel good about themselves, I am going to convince you to give your land back to the indigenous. I swear to God. <laughs> you are, first of all, very funny. Second of all, you're saying something that a lot of people obviously think right now needs to be said. So let's get into this. What's the backstory behind how this developed? We sold tickets to William Shakespeare's As You Like It at Crow's Theatre. And we opened on the Day of Reconciliation. We were the only theatre open after the pandemic. And I come out and do the land acknowledgement. And because it's the Day of Truth of Reconciliation, the land acknowledgement goes on a little long. But I go on, and I go on, and I go on <laughs> for 85 minutes. And at the end of the show, you don't get to see the show that you paid for. You, you've done a little bait and switch with people there. We, we... And uh, just a taste of Cliff Cardinal. Uh, I'm in the studio, of course, with the other radical reverend, with uh, Chris Smaller, Reverend Chris Smaller. And uh, we're talking, first and foremost, land acknowledgments. Chris, weigh in. What did you think when you heard this? Oh, my gosh. He's so funny. It's, it's, it's funny because it's true, right? It's so awful. Yeah, so what do we do about these things, right? So right now, um, I'm in a church where when I came a couple years ago, uh, the, the issue that was most debated, hotly, passionately, uh, was whether or not to do a land acknowledgement on Sunday mornings. And there was, there apparently was a long history of people who were very much against doing a land acknowledgement. So it made me think about it in a different way than I've thought about it for a while. Um, because in this case, there was, you know, there was some sort of goal. Something was accomplished in this congregation because the land acknowledgement was uh, implemented. But still, yeah, it's cringeworthy, isn't it? And, I, and we're here today to respond, you know, because people ask others, Indigenous people, to come and do the land acknowledgement, which makes no sense, right? Because they're acknowledging their own land. So I think it's good that we're offering a settler perspective here today. 
Yeah, it's, uh, I've said this before, but there should be no land acknowledgement without land acknowledgement. You know, I mean, we're, we're, we're settlers here. We're colonialists. We come from that stock, and we come from a history of stealing land and a history of genocide in this country. And it's not just cultural genocide, folks. It's actual genocide in the residential school system, and particularly in our denominations. So a couple of kind of fast facts if people don't know that um, in, uh, in August of 2022, uh, the federal government settled with the Roman Catholic Church, for example, for far, far less than they were on the hook for in terms of reparations for residential school abuses. They settled for less because they said they couldn't raise any more from their congregants with something around four million. Um, the response to that from Indigenous, um, uh, from the Chief Young said, uh, listen, why didn't the Vatican just write a check? Uh, a very a very pointed and very obvious response. They got lots of money. Why raise it from the congregation or not? Why not just pay what they what they owe? Um, this had a, a disastrous effect on other churches, Anglicans and Presbyterians in, in, in part, and uh, probably on the United Church, although not because we're part of the United Church, but has done a little bit better. And again, we're just, we're talking small Mounts here uh, than the other denominations. They apologized in 1986, the first uh, mainline Christian church to do so. It was rejected, by the way. It was not accepted. Rightly so. Um, rightly so. Um, have paid some 6.45 million and, and many million others. Um, and that was accepted by um, the money was accepted and the acknowledgement that this was a good thing um, by about 74 First Nations uh, communities in the Saskatchewan area. Um, and the feds, of course, have paid about $5 billion. But, I mean, this is still small change, right, Chris? Well, what is Canada worth? What is the real estate value of the country of Canada? I mean, we could do, you know, a thought experiment, figure it out. Um, a trillion dollars, maybe. Maybe just for Toronto, even, a trillion dollars. So what are these millions that we're giving? It makes, it's, no, it's not even a drop in the bucket. It's hush money, really. And interestingly enough, and we were talking about this before the show, uh, when you look at the, you know, who identifies as Christian, uh, First Nations, Indigenous, really are <laughs> identified more often as Christian than the rest of the, the settler population. Um, so there's still something there. Um, and that's, you know, a discussion for another day um, and probably not among settlers. But I mean, Again, uh, we're still dealing with this. So, so what should, like people listening to that clip, and by the way, Cliff Cardinal, so for you, uh, those of you who've missed his show, he's coming back. Yay! May 4th to 7th at the CAA Theatre, and uh, do get tickets if you haven't already and make that, uh, make that a success because uh, we re really, really need to support Indigenous artists and especially when they're as funny as Cliff, right? Well, yeah, it's just good, good theatre, right? So, um, so talking about land acknowledgement. So after that kind of kick in our backsides, um, what I mean, what should we do? Like we do this very rote land acknowledgement in our church, and so many organizations do this, right? It's like this rote land acknowledgement. There's very little, if any, discussion about it. Um, sometimes the wording shifts based on a committee's decisions, um, and um, and like and as you said, though. It's better than nothing, but then what should we do? Well, I think I think it's a start. Like I think that that's where we make a big mistake is in our and we're talking about churches, Christian churches. You know, we're in a United Church context. 
um, but I'm sure it applies elsewhere too, is that we, it's like a stat, it's a done deal. So we, we write a land acknowledgement and it's done every week. Whereas it should be a start. Like why are we acknowledging the land every week? Because we are saying that the land is stolen that we don't have a right to be on the land. So what are we going to do about that knowledge? It's like any revelation. Once you know something, you can't go back and unknow it. So now that we know this and we declare it, we acknowledge it, what are we going to do about it? So I think, and I think this is something that we need to discuss as settlers, as, you know, part of um, those whose ancestors stole the land. Um, and because I think that there's been too much reliance, especially with unpaid um, you know, expectation that people, Indigenous folks, would come in unpaid and teach us um, over and over and over again. I think that what maybe what the good thing of a land acknowledgement can be is is the beginning of a response, right? So one thing, for instance, we can look at the calls to, to action, you know, from the tr truth and reconciliation process. So can we, you know, link the land acknowledgement to learning about calls to action? Can we talk about reparations? Um, you know, what is it that we actually owe in, you know, monetary value? In our, you know, the larger church, we do a land acknowledgement and get on with whatever business there is. But should we be selling churches and, you know, giving that money back? Should we have a plan? So I think that it's, it's a place to start, but I think it is sinful to end with it. It's worse than not doing it. You're listening to The Radical Reverend Show here, very, very live. And uh, just a, an example, this is in response to uh, someone who reached out to, to me, Sherry DeNovo, on Twitter and suggested that we they highlight the, you know, the, the play by Cliff Cardinal and, and give it a, a little bit of a shout-out, but also to look at this issue of Christian churches, settler reality, and, uh, you know, and this example of how weird it is right now that we do land acknowledgements without acknowledging land uh, and not doing something about it. And of course, churches are only part of this issue. I mean, we can look at banks, we can look at every other institution, including the one that we're sitting on, University of Toronto and other universities and colleges, in terms of the land uh, we take up here. Again, um, land that was stolen from the original inhabitants with not much recompense, really. So, so that's that's the topic. Um, and now, again, billions have gone into this. I mean, one of the things, Chris, that that jumped out at me when the graves were being discovered in residential schools, they they were just we knew about them. Sorry. Yeah. yeah no, of course. <laughs> yeah. Revealed yeah. to those who had been refusing to acknowledge them. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the point that I was going to make. Absolutely. That that everybody should have known could have known that there were thousands of children killed. Like, let's just say that. They were killed, they were murdered um, in church-slash-government-run schools uh, where children were taken forcibly from their families and put into institutions that where they were not allowed to speak their language, where many, like, they were tortured and abused and killed. Uh, this is this is the legacy we're talking about here. This is our legacy, absolutely. Um, so when we're talking about you know any type of of faithful response, we have to be confronting that all the time, all the time. You know, if you just think our call to Christianity through Jesus Christ. So Jesus was fighting, you know, colonizing oppressors. 
Um, you know, he was indigenous. Let's well, face it. He, yeah, and I mean, when we think about a land acknowledgement, I mean, we're standing with Jesus because that's what he was doing. I mean, he was part. You know, a big part of his ministry was helping people understand that they were in occupied land and that um, they need to overthrow the the colonizing oppressor. So I think that we absolutely need to be dealing with this. This is this is the most important thing. Uh, and, and and again, just to your point, um, Jesus, indigenous Palestinian Jew, killed by the state, mm-hmm. killed by colonizers um, in a colonized country. Uh, so this is pretty, you know, it's a pretty clear roadmap of what we should be doing in terms of indigenous. So let's talk about land acknowledgments because we were given that frame by Cliff. Thank you. Um, let's talk about appropriation too, because. There's a lot of appropriationism happening around indigenous issues, in not just only in churches, but since we're talking about churches and got two church church ladies here, um, <laughs> uh, let, let's talk about appropriation because, you know, and you know this is happening in schools, you know it's happening everywhere, um, or the habit of, you know, every so often, be it a certain Sunday, we will, we will call in whatever First Nations person we can get and have them come and perform for us. <laughs> That's, well, we should stop. <laughs> we should stop. I think that, you know, for me, one thing is um, is payment. I mean, I think that's part of reparation. So we should never be asking um, any marginalized, I'm not saying all Indigenous are marginalized, but we, when we're bringing someone in to teach us something, um, particularly when they come from a community that is historically oppressed, um, we should always be paying them, always. And we shouldn't be expecting other people to do our work for us. Um, we certainly, no, we don't expect, you know, I'm, I'm through with teaching men about misogyny. I don't know about you, right? But, you know, we need to do our own work. And I'm wondering if, if we, you know, really confront um, the banality of a lot of our land acknowledgements, uh, that is a way in to, um, to really doing the work. So what is it? So, you know, I get up every Sunday and say, and again, it's by rote, but I say, you know, we're standing on stolen land. You know, we're, we're standing on land that, you know, most of our ancestors, most of us have ancestors who benefited from it. And we need to put that front and center always, then do a land acknowledgement. And then um, I think it's important uh, to, to make things three-dimensional. So that's the other thing I think is, is problematic with the land acknowledgement is that kind of it, it just makes it, it seem like there's a monoculture, like there's just this indigenous monoculture out there. Um, and there, you know, I think we other, I think it can, the worst thing about the land acknowledgement is we actually other people indigenous people more um, so I think that we have to address that as well um, and I think it's talking about the past the present and the future um, I think it's important I do think it's important to talk about uh, you know indigenous history in our own country that we do understand there's things that we don't understand should not be speaking about but like for example on Remembrance Day we spent a lot of time talking about indigenous war heroes of which there are many 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 um, you know, all sorts. And so, I mean, I think that that's what we need to do um, is to, you know, really commit to education. And I think it needs to be tied to reparations. And I think it needs to be tied to, so for example, you know, the call to action number three, which is Jordan's principle. 
um, that's something that we should be talking about, about how, you know, in this day and age, Indigenous children are still dying, suffering and dying because government, um, levels of government are fighting over who's going to pay for their health care. So to talk about that, to talk about where it's happening now, I think that we can, you know, tie that to the land acknowledgement and talk about how it's a direct result that the, the, sto- the stealing of the land, the theft of the land, um, directly resulted in this suffering and this death. And then we need to make that connection. You're listening to the Radical Reverend Show here, very live, uh, the two Radical Rebs with you, uh, Chris uh, Smaller and Sherry DeNovo here, and want to give a shout out to the people be- beyond the glass as well. Jasmine, her last day with us. Jasmine, Aww. we love you. We're going to miss Riley, you. Uh, and Riley, uh, and, and the station, CIUT 89.5 FM that runs on volunteers. We're all volunteer here. So um, so keep your support coming. Um, and we're talking about the clip that I, I played right at the top, and that was uh, a clip of Cliff Cardinal, his show uh, called Land Acknowledgement and his interview with Steve Pakin, um, talking about, you know, what's weird about it and what's not so okay about it. And uh, and we're talking about that from the, from the standpoint of two settlers who work in churches um, and what we should do better. Um, one of the things that our church does, and again, just part of the reparations, but just a suggestion. We we do two paying the rent Sundays. We call them, where the all the offering and the money that's raised go to local indigenous uh, organizations. So we do that twice a year. So that's direct. Uh, that is something that almost every organization can do a ver- variation of. It mm-hmm. seems to me is whenever you're meeting, you know, whatever money you're collecting for whatever you know you're doing as an organization, set aside a portion of that. And in fact, you pointed to this, Chris, and you talked about the church in you know, the sale of buildings, which we're selling all the time, and making millions and millions of dollars on um, that. A portion of the sale of buildings in this country, no matter what the buildings are, should go to reparations as well. Thoughts? Absolutely. You know, you think about a land transfer tax. I mean, we should really have, um, you know, reparation tax on sale of everything. So in the United Church, I can say, you know, I was I was the chair of a commission um, in our region and, you know, that oversaw the sale of properties. And absolutely, you know, I brought up that we should be paying reparations, like a significant percentage. And um, we need to all be talking about that. So I I was not able to bring that in, but I know that afterward there were other people that came on. And so, you know, part of it, I mean, that brings up the issue of patience too. Like, should we be patient or should we not be patient? Like, is this the time when we actually, you know, take direct action in whatever organization we're in? in order to uh, to deal with reparations. And it's funny, eh, because, you know, in church, I don't know, in the I church, what, what do we not like to talk about? We don't really like to talk about religion. Um, we don't really like to talk about politics. And we definitely don't like to talk about money. And Jesus Christ, <laughs> your Savior and mine, Sherry, uh, talked more about money than any other topic in the Gospels. Uh, he, and he wasn't nice either. He by was the not. Way. He, let's he was not, not conflate, a nice guy. Let's not no. conflate niceness and Christianity. But he directly he he paired how we deal with money with the health of our spiritual life. 
he said we cannot separate the two. So if we want to be spiritually healthy, um, not that we should be doing it for ourselves, but let's be real here. We cannot have spiritually healthy churches or faith organizations unless we are right with our Indigenous siblings. The, the other weird thing about land acknowledgements, too, to get back to Cliff's point, is that it assumes, as we do in many churches, land acknowledgements or other institutions that do land acknowledgements, that there are no Indigenous in the room, <laughs> which is a kind of weird assumption, yeah. right? Because, like, basically, we, we assume it's settlers speaking to settlers without ever checking who's actually in the room. Um, and this and this particularly was brought home to, to me because Black History Month. So in the same way that, you know, we beat our breasts as we should for our racist culture and our racist <laughs> realities, um, uh, you know, like most people of color and certainly black people Black North Americans, most were not brought, but they were brought here as slaves. Right. They right. were not settlers. So we cannot include them in talking about settlers because they weren't settlers. This is a white issue. So um, so that's the other thing that's kind of weird about it to me, too. No, I think that's important. And I would hope that um, faith leaders, ministers, do know their congregation and are addressing if there's different... Um, you know, if there's people with different backgrounds. But I think it's also a matter of not saying things by rote. So to say, like, most of us in this room are settlers. Most of us in this room uh, have benefited from the stolen land. Most of us in this room have, you know, privileges that are, you know, that are were made on the backs of those who, who were disempowered. Um, so I think we do need to to say that for sure. And I think it's about like you can't, you know, you can't get away from talking about the white privilege piece. So I'll just share with you. So what I hear a lot of of uh, settlers say is, you know, my family was very poor. They came over. They had a really hard time. Um, and it's like, absolutely. So I can share with you. My, some of my ancestors were from Iceland. Uh, my great-grandmother was uh, 14 when she came over. Her parents died on the boat, and she was put into indentured servitude and abused. So there is that. But what the thing is, is that that legacy, I'm sure there's trauma in my family, but that legacy did not have an impact on me as a person with white skin as it did, you know, with others. So we need to really separate that out and talk about um you know, I think we've, in the church, we've stopped talking. I mean, many didn't even start, but we've stopped talking about white privilege in that way. And, you know, we need to, to link that too. I think that the, what we're talking about here, Sherry, is we're saying it's a very complex issue, uh, multidimensional. And so with the land, the land acknowledgement, we need to be bringing in all of those dimensions and how we, how we deal with that, how we address it. I mean, we really should be singing Okanda, our, our home and native land, end, <laughs> period, you know. Yeah, period. well, we just do that. Skip in a, the rest it, of the, skip yeah. the rest of the anthem. Well, just you know? on, yeah, I mean, and we do that in our church. It's on native land, not our native land. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I uh, was speaking here, uh, obviously, about uh, the land acknowledgement that Cliff Cardinal has, has done so brilliantly. And please go see his play, May 4th to 7th, CAA Theatre, uh, called Land Acknowledgement. And, and let's rethink it, you know, in our institutions, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, because it has become rote. It has become an unexamined aspect of everything we do. And let's start stopping that. 
Um, let's not do it by rote. Let's start examining what it means. And let's start looking at the context in which we're saying it. And let's start looking at the institutions in which we're saying it and whether we're actually carrying out the the spirit, if not the, the letter of the land acknowledgement and actually saying, okay, so we're sitting on native land. What are we going to do about that? Um, yeah, what are we going to do about that? So final thoughts about this topic, Miss Christine? I think we should talk about it more, hey? I think we should talk about it more. And I think, um, you know, I want to I want to show some some compassion and understanding to clergy and faith leaders that are fighting so hard just to have the land acknowledgement said um, in in worship services. That can be a big battle, right? So it might be that that um, you know once that battle is fought and won, there's some exhaustion there. So maybe we need to you know talk more about it and figure out ways that we can do the work. And gently call each other out on yeah. issues. I mean, so it was a battle in your church. What were some of the negatives that were said even on that issue? Um, so when I came in, I was told that it had been a you know, longstanding debate. There are people who were very passionate about uh, a ministry of reconciliation with in Indigenous peoples of Canada. And there were people who were very much against it. And so I went in and asked what you know what were the obje- what were the ob- exact objections and um, it was very hard to you know there was no there was nothing concrete was done and so uh, you know i think that's the other thing that faith leaders need to do is we need to claim our own power and our own autonomy you know uh, so i just said well i cannot do a worship service unless there's a land acknowledgement beforehand and uh, there was no complaints afterward. And, you know, we vary it, you know, try and really bring in some educational piece. Uh, so, for example, Holy Humor Sunday was last week, the Sunday after Easter. We did some, you know, we talked about Indigenous humor, multifaceted Indigenous humor, you know, like um, the land acknowledgement or as you like it. So I think that that's, we just need to keep on keeping on in some ways. Maybe we should play the clip from, you know, that interview with Cliff Cardinal at the beginning of our church services or institutional services, um, just to wrap up, and then we'll go to a, a tune and a break. But um, it really, what was really seminal to me and what you said, Chris, was your talk about your own background, because I think the objection is a lot, you know, comes from people who've been here for generations, whose folk, you know, I think of the settlement, and it was a settlement, of course, colonization of the prairies, where you got very poor people Mm -hmm. given really terrible land um, that they were asked to make a living from. Um, They weren't rich. They were the unwanted from Europe, many of them. They they came here to start a life, and uh, they were suffering, and it was horrendous. Um, And so there's a feeling of, well, you know, why should I say I'm sorry. And so a, a big piece of this to me is education and conscience, yeah. consciousness raising because, um, yeah, that is all true, but, and there's a big but there, 
but you were still on stolen land. And we what, benefited from it. And exactly. Yeah, we're benefiting and, from and it. And their children yeah. and their grandchildren benefited yeah. from it. And it's true of recent immigrants, too. Many come as refugees. And again, it's complicated, as you pointed yeah. out. So, um, so yeah, have those discussions, I would say. And connect it to, like, connect yeah. it to Scripture. Yeah. Like, I always go back and say connect it to Scripture because, you know, Jesus, that's what he went and he showed people that they shouldn't fight amongst themselves. They should be looking at the powers and principalities that are causing, you know, oppression and so much suffering so that we need to, you know, see not each other as enemies or, you know, not trying to just climb over one another. I'm talking about white settlers here um, to gain some status or power, but to really, really confront um, what we should be working toward, which is for us kingdom come. To that. So let's hear it too. Halusa Nation, the human beings, the people, see the spiritual in the natural, through sense and feeling. Everything is related, all the things of earth and in the sky have spirit, everything is sacred. Confronted by the alien nation, the subjects and the citizens see the material religions through trauma and numb. Nothing is related. All the things of the earth and in the sky have energy to be exploited. Even themselves, mining their spirits into souls sold. Into nothing is sacred, not even their self. The Ally Nation, Alia Nation. Okay, we are back at the Radical Reverend Very Live show here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Uh, we were talking, of course, about land acknowledgement in the last segment. What you just heard was A Lie Nation, name of the tune, of the track. Uh, we probably, we who are older, remember Tribe Called Red, now called Aluchi Nation. Pardon if I... Uh, mangled that. Uh, but anyway, yes. Um, and thank you for playing that, Riley. Um, we were also talking about, you know, just at the break, because this is what we do, you know, when, when the tune is playing. Uh, and, and Riley raised this issue about the the West of, of Canada. And it, uh, just on that note, there was a very kind of... Uh, a uh, humorous maybe exchange that I had on social media with a Take Back Alberta uh, couple of quotes. And the, and I said, well, this sounds really encouraging. So 
does this mean that we're going to be giving Alberta back to Indigenous? <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I am we sure, not what they meant. We live in hope. We, we do live in hope. Here with Reverend Chris Smaller uh, and your host Sherry DeNovo as well, uh, the two radical reverends. Uh, and we're going to kind of change the dial now a little bit because... Uh, last uh, last time we were together here, we had a clip um, from Farin Khan uh, talking about the women's mosque, and of course we've just come through the period of Ramadan in the in the Muslim calendar. But um, we should also note that it has also been Passover, yeah. and uh, Passover has just uh, uh, come to an end too. And so we had Easter, we had all of these things happening at once, uh, holy days, and. You know, let's. We were talking about we're, you know the topic of slavery. We were talking about Passover, which is a, a, the tale of the liberation from slavery. And since we were talking about the subject of appropriation, um, the thing that comes to mind immediately was the habit that a lot of churches have given up. And by the way, yours truly has always been partly guilty of this. So many of us have because we didn't know um, of doing kind of Seder suppers in churches around the time that Jesus did. That was the explanation. Talk about that. About Seder suppers. <laughs> um, and I think we were very clear last month. Uh, if you are Christian, uh, do not have a Seder supper. Absolutely. But I think that maybe it would be good to talk about what we were what what we were trying to accomplish with the Seder suppers, right? So similar, what we're trying to accomplish with the territorial acknowledgement, the land acknowledgement, um, without appropriating, co-opting another culture. So what we were trying to accomplish. I think that you know, with the Seder suppers, we were trying to really, you know, viscerally uh, show the connection between Jesus and Judaism. You know, I mean, you can say it a million times to most Christian folk, Jesus was a good Jew, had no intention of uh, creating a new uh, faith. Uh, he was trying to reform his own faith. And, you know, the other thing to say, which is so important, is that you know, the Judaism was fine. It was just that there were some issues with the leadership, right? So, and that's what Jesus was addressing. So if we're having a Seder supper. We're trying to reenact um, the Last Supper, which was the foundational event for our practice of the Sacrament of Holy Communion. Um, so I think that's where the one of the big problems lies, is we're trying to uh, reenact uh, an event, a ritual, uh, from another faith and say that it's from our own faith because we just, you know, draw the, draw the line between the last supper, the Seder, the Passover supper and uh, Holy communion. So again, this is something that we have to complexify, complicate rather than make more simple. And uh, certainly just uh, like our horrendous past with, with First Nations and Indigenous, uh, we have a horrendous past in the Christian Church with our Jewish uh, brothers, sisters, and others. Uh, uh, we have a history of anti-Semitism in the Church. I remember that quote that always sticks to mind, and that is uh, from Karl Barth, um, theologian of the 20th century, who said, uh, and this was in the 1930s in Germany, he said, the most important the most important statement a Christian can make right now is that Jesus was a Jew. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, it was a statement that you would never, you never heard in Christian churches with the rise of the Third Reich. Uh, so that being the most horrendous example of anti-Semitism, which, by the way, very, very small percentage of churches um, uh, did not fly Nazi flags and did mm -hmm. not, uh, you know, change their theology to meet the, 
the rulers of the day. Um, so, and, and that didn't start there, of course, it goes back to the Middle Ages and beyond from the early days of the church. You see these, these strains of anti-Semitism. Um, there's still some, you know, we, we read from some of the Gospels, we still trip over some of the words, you know, um, from John's Gospel this last week, you know, and he was, Jesus was tried by the Jews, uh, John says. But of course, John is Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. They're all Jewish, right? It's like us complaining about Christians, as we've been doing on the show. Right. That's <laughs> uh, all the Christians' fault. Well, that's true, though. That's true. So is this the time when we tell people to read their Bibles? <laughs> yeah, just, I always say, I wish, I wish literalists and fundamentalists would just actually read, read the book. Read their Bibles? You know, just read the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think... You know, you never want to take an easy way out. But for me, I would never say, you know, I would never read those texts and say the Jews. So I, I often just, I often just substitute religious authorities, uh, religious leadership, um, you know, those in power, uh, collaborators uh, with the Roman Empire, although that's a bit tricky too sometimes. So I think that we need to just stop saying that. Um, but the... Uh, but the most important thing is is that we have to understand that there's a difference between scripture and how people interpret uh, the Bible, and that there's a very big difference between the first few centuries of Christianity and what happened in the fourth century with Constantine when it became an actual uh, religion of the empire that was used as a justification and a tool to conquer and oppress other people, which we see that happening, and then it just continued to happen. Yeah, back on uh, Chris's point about uh, wish people would just actually read the Bible, they, they say they uphold. Um, you know, one of the, there was an interesting book written and became a bestseller some years back called The Year of Living Biblically by A.J. <laughs> Jacobs. Yeah. And this was uh, uh, written by a Jew who tried to live out all the commandments, including all of the strictures in Leviticus, uh, just for a year um, in New York City. It's pretty hilarious, obviously completely and utterly impossible if you read Leviticus. But, you know, some, some things, I mean, for example, uh, if you were to really follow the Bible, you would be sacrificing live animals. Well, imagine trying to get your local municipality you say that's okay on your front uh, on your front stoop. Yeah. Um, so uh, stuff like that. And I mean, not that Judaism follows that now. Yeah, no, like no, of course, say. of course not. But I mean, this just puts the lie to those who would claim literalism. You know, um, uh, that's a great example. And also, like, it's interesting that book because he goes in. So he's the kind of guy. He's kind of a polymath, interested in a lot of things. He gets obsessive about certain issues and then writes books about them. It's interesting with that book because he comes out of the experience with a lot more respect for scripture, for Judaism. Um, but there are some, like the, I don't know if you remember the example where, because you can't have mixed um, fibers. fibers yeah. So he had to hire a professional to come in and uh, go through his whole audit, his uh, his wardrobe to make sure. There's also um, Rachel, Hel Rachel Held Evans uh, wrote A Year of Biblical Womanhood. Very, very interesting. So she came from a very, uh, unfortunately she passed away a few years ago at 38, very, very sad. But she came from a very fundamentalist background. And as she explored her faith more, you know, came to realize that a lot of what she'd learned were lies. So, yeah, so I think that there's, you know, yeah. So uh, to, to help us uh, unpack some of this a little bit, um, one of our favorite guests from past shows, uh, Dr. Neely Kaplan-Mirth, we've got her on the line. And uh, Dr. Neely, we're talking here about uh, Passover because it's 
uh, happened. And, uh, and, and I wanted to get your take on kind of the meaning for Passover in your life. And just to give you a bit of background of what Dr. Nilly's been through, uh, there was a trustee meeting of the Ontario Carleton District School Board not long ago where uh, some convoy people showed up in part because the the chair of the board is trans and they are transphobic. Um, but also, um, uh, you know, there's been this whole rise of anti-Semitism. And Nilly, it's been directed at you. Um, yeah. so, so maybe talk about the rise of anti-Semitism, um, what happened, and, um, and how you do your day-to-day. Because this woman, uh, just to say to those in listening line, this woman's a hero uh, for just showing up to work every day and doing what you do. And so we thank you. But talk. Yeah, so, I mean, the um, Passover has always been, for for my family, it's always been about human rights and social justice. And um, I can remember when I was an undergrad at McGill, Ovid Merkady came and spoke to us, and we were talking about um, we're talking about residential schools, and we're talking about uh, the history of um, how Indigenous people were treated in Canada. And I recorded a conversation where I raised my hand and I asked, "What can non-Indigenous uh, Canadians do, um, you know, to help?" And I played that at our family's seder, at our at our Passover seder um, as an undergrad. And like that's kind of just to give you a sense of, you know, what Passover is um, is not um, just about Jews fleeing and searching for freedom, you know, fleeing from um, uh, slavery in Egypt. But I, um, but you know, what's what's going on today? What's going on in 2023 with the rise of hate? And and for sure, like anti-Semitism is um, is a uh, low-hanging fruit for people when there are when there are people to attack. Um, Jews are often the subject of. Um, Attacks and um, I mean, you know, we also yesterday was the um, Yom HaShoah, the uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day, and uh, my grandfather's entire family was killed in Poland during the Second World War, and um, and there's intergenerational trauma because the kinds of death threats that I'm getting, the anti-Semitic death threats that I'm getting, would be causing my grandparents right now to be rolling over in their graves. Um, things that I've been called that I words that I'd never heard in my 48 years of life that um, people are using with reckless abandon, um, and it's not just social media. Although my husband and I were speaking this morning, and he said to me, Neely, you know, if the only cafe in town is a Nazi cafe, you don't have to keep going to it. Why are you still on Twitter? And um, and it, it 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 is horrendous. And I've tried other social media platforms as well, but the um, uh, ability to be able to connect with others like you know sherry the way that you and i met was through social media and um and so i think it's really important but i go to i go to work now in fear because people are threatening the, the worst threat was somebody saying that they were going to shoot me if i showed up at our ottawa carlton district school board meeting in person um, and that was when we were talking about uh the transphobia that had occurred in our boardroom and um you know and i can't not do my work because there are people out there who are going to harass me as a Jewish woman. Um, I'm not going to stop standing up to defend the rights of trans people in our community, uh, for the LGBTQ community um, more broadly. I'm not going to stop um, standing up for people with disabilities. 
uh, but like the, the the intersection of all the ways in which the hate is being pummeled at me, it's like I've, t- I've ticked all the boxes because I represent physicians giving vaccines and I represent advocating for masks to keep vulnerable populations safe. And I am a Jewish woman and I advocated for addressing anti-Semitism in schools and I um, stood up for trans rights. So it's like, you know, all of those things. And, and that is what really frightens me is that uh, and it's not just happening to me at all. It's happening across Canada and around the world, and it's the same tropes, but the overlap in all the forms of hate. Um, and that's, um, that's something that we need to address as Canadians and as an international um, population. We need, we need to address the, the rise in uh, really uh, horrific, um, violent threats and um, discrimination and it's all couched in this radical idea of freedom of speech, that people can say anything they want, even if what they're saying is um, basically, you know, calling me a dirty Jew or, um, you know, um, whatever, like other um, horrible things they say. So uh, we need to address that. And it's really um, sad that people think that they can use boards of education as a battleground uh, and I'm certainly not going to be bullied out of um, being a trustee, and I'm not going to be bullied out of being a physician. I'm going to keep doing the work that I do, but um, but I shouldn't have to I shouldn't have to uh, worry about my safety walking down the street or walking into you know the school board building. And um, and this is the reality. This is the climate that we live in. So speaking to Dr. Anili Kaplan-Mirth here on the Radical Reverend Show, and um, Anili, just uh, to update people too, since the last time you've been on, I mean, there was actually a Change.org petition against you, which is shocking. Yeah. Shame on Change.org. Um, as many of us spoke up against that, and they, you know, uh, took it down. But I mean, still horrendous. Um, and I, I just want to point out that one meeting that I was kind of talking about Twitter, like tweeting from, um, hey, master's tools, just use them. Um, but I was live tweet- tweeting about it. Um, and l- I'd, luckily, hopefully, um, a whole lot more people showed up in support um, than showed up against um, what was happening at the board. Um, but I mean, when you, you post... Um, often about some of the things that people have said to you. And I, I couldn't even say them on air because no. um, we would be, uh, yeah, we would be in breach. Yet, um, these things have been said to you um, pointedly over and over again. And yeah. um, where th- part of us says, you know, where's the police at that meeting were standing, you know, yards and yards back. We're, we're barely present. Uh, we know that their failures during the actual convoy in Ottawa. Um, where's the protection for someone like you? So this is where it gets complicated because I'm in contact regularly with the hate crimes unit of the police and um, and they do um, try to track down the emails that I get. Um, but because of technology, people use anonymous um, email as a way to hide. So while um, because there are uh, there are other colleagues who are Jewish in Ottawa who are also targeted and there's you know good reason to believe that. Some of this is truly coming from people in Ottawa threatening us, but we can't prove it because people can, you know, use um, VPNs and they can use um, service providers that provide anonymity. And so we have um, limited resources to track these people down. Uh, there, there is still an outstanding um, arrest warrant for somebody who 
um, threatened me and who we were able to track down. But that person was able to just basically leave his home and leave Windsor and, you know, let, you know, he, he may be anywhere in Canada or he may have left, left Canada and um, the police don't have the ability to, like, go into his home to arrest him. So, you know, our justice system fails us on many levels. There's not um, one um, person here who's letting me down, but more it's our system. And um, when I received this threat saying that if I went to the meeting, I would be shot, you know, people were people were just absolutely um, shocked that um, the meeting still went on in person. Uh, there were like 20 police officers there and the head of the hate crime unit said to me, well, nearly you're as likely to be shot as I am to win the lottery. And that's not reassuring. And, um, and again, you know, I am the daughter of Holocaust survivors where families, my family, my, my Zadie's um, four sisters and parents were all shot, killed, killed in concentration camps. It's not, it's not a, um, a, uh, vague idea of, oh, you know, well, maybe there's, you know, maybe, maybe you won't be shot, maybe you will be, but, you know, you'll probably be fine. It's hard to uh, live with that uncertainty. And, um, and we see in the States that there are shootings and the behavior that we're seeing, the disruptions of um, boards of education is something that's been going on in the States for quite a while. And, um, and that is what we have imported into Canada. So, so there is reason to be concerned, and I have spoken with um, the office of uh, Minister Rodriguez, who's um, working on a Canadian um, response in terms of uh, online hate. But um, but we need to be addressing those those platforms that embolden it, and also the the people the people who write in Canadian tabloids, the you know um, the people who uh, try to um, encourage others to attack people like me on the basis of religion or um, gender identity or sexuality, and it's it's not okay. Thank you so much, Nalee, and thank you for uh, making uh, Passover come to life for us. And uh, and anyway, um, thank you for what you do. Keep doing it, and we'll keep uh, amplifying what you do. Take care. Thank you for being out there. Bye. Of course. Bye-bye. So, uh, Chris, uh, it's real anti-Semitism. There's, it's, it's definitely on the rise. Um, what, what happened at that board meeting and what happens, what's happened to this woman and others is outrageous. And it's kind of part of, uh, part of a, a, a wider, uglier trend, of course. Um, I mean, you know, people use the term fascist a lot, but let's call it what it is. Uh, uh, and uh, it, it includes transphobia. It includes anti-Semitism. It's all of everything old is new again. What do you think? I want to cry. You know, I mean, it's like I I know it. Um, but to have such an incredible person, such an incredible person who you know, does not need to do anything in order to deserve to be able to walk down her street uh, in safety. You know, to have the head of, you know, police authority say to her, you know, you're probably going to be okay. Like, that's insane. Um, And that she has the incredible capacity and dignity and wherewithal to come on this program on the phone in the midst of her busy day and tell us um, we should, it's a call to action. You know, and I guess the second thing I want to say, like, where are the Christians? 
Where are the Christians? Where are you who are faithful to Jesus Christ and his ministry of reconciliation and his anti-oppressive ministry? Where are you? Where are we? Mm-hmm. It's pretty shocking. And, uh, and especially, I mean, just, uh, and just so listeners know, um, Nilly took time away from her patients because she's still running a practice uh, in Ottawa. And, uh, um, and I, 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 you know, on the positive side, I love, because after all, Passover is about the liberation of slaves. I love the, um, I love the drawing in, and we try to do this too with our ancient stories, you know, the drawing in of what's happening now. Um, it has been said you should preach with, you know, the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, um, of what's happening now in the world that makes some sense in faith circles. And this, this includes all the people of the book and beyond uh, the book, you know, people of faith in various faiths. Uh, Again, um, how what what is what is the faithful call when faced with that kind of oppression, and what what is shocking to me about not just only that incident, but what we see on social media all the time, quite frankly, but also um, but also of course as a reflection of what's happening in our world, is this this and Nilly hit it on the head, which is you know you're you're able to say everything, so freedom of speech. Uh, by the way, out there does not mean hate speech. You're not. It's yeah. not okay to to engage in hate speech. Uh, that is not freedom of speech. That is weaponizing speech, and um, and that is not okay. And we know that people who uh, threaten violence often do violence. It's absolutely, not, it's not empty. It's not empty. Absolutely. It's absolutely dangerous. Uh, and of course, there's a fair amount of misogyny in there too. Let's name that as women in, involved in faith circles. I mean, would they have done this? Well, they have, in fact, done it to doctors. I mean, one of the weird things is that came out of the whole COVID mix with the convoy in Ottawa and all of that, you know, that kind of ugly, you know, th- theology of a sort, you know, that came out of all of that was this, uh, this and, and shocking, shocking, I would hope shocking, um, these attacks on healthcare professionals, frontline workers, the attacks on them verbally and otherwise, the attacks on anybody who was trying to help during this period of time. Um, so that was, that was a kind of part of it. But yeah, uh, the anti-Semitism, some of the comments are shocking. Uh, I, I, in fact, have also passed on images that come out of places like Florida, which let's is a rogue state at this point, um, of, of people with actual swastika flags. Remember, in highly Jewish areas in Florida, standing on street corners, allowed to just stand there. Um, thoughts? So here's the thing. What we have to keep reminding ourselves and others is this is a strategic, systemic campaign against... Uh, the dignity of the human being. So all of these things, you know, we, for so long, they were considered isolated incidents or that people were exaggerating what was happening. So we have to be attuned to all of this, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because, uh, as we see in the States, more is coming, more is coming, and we need to be organized and we need to be responding. And I want to say, too, that it's... um, I think we forget that there's a great loss here, you know, um, think about, you know, that woman in her undergrad going with a tape recorder, I'm, I'm dating myself, but somehow recording this conversation, bring it back to her home for discussion over the Passover, the Seder supper. Um, just think if we didn't have to fight all these fights, 
what we could be doing for humanity, for creation, for the environment. What what a difference that would make if we could win these battles um, in such a way that people were working for, in our own traditional words, for the kingdom, you know, for mikvah, for, you know, so let's take it seriously and let's deal with this. Speaking here on the Radical Reverend Show, we're just in our last few minutes here of the show. And uh, uh, again, we've covered some ground here from uh, land acknowledgments, indigenous rights to the rise of anti-Semitism. And, and also, of course, the, the joy of the celebration of Passover as well. Um, so all of that. Uh, and also, by the way, if it doesn't, you don't have to be carrying Nazi flags and standing on street corners. Um, there's a lot of banality of evil, to, to quote Hannah Arendt. Um, there's a lot of banality of evil. So, including that, how we read scripture in our churches, absolutely, and including what we don't do, not yeah. only what we do do. So, what are you not doing that you should be doing to help counter hate uh, wherever it, you are? It's the Eichmanns of the world that that make this kind of hate mm-hmm. and damage mm-hmm. possible for sure. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, I think of a, an incredibly incredible meeting that was based on actual transcripts called uh, the, the Vanessa Conference. Yeah, well, it was, I think it was called a meeting is the, the, the oh, movie okay. I'm thinking of. It's just yeah. called the meeting. And it's just um, from an actual, you know, Nazi, you know, and, and everybody's arguing with each other and they're all jockeying for, for the positions. Final solution. You know, they're all jockeying yeah. for positions of uh, what is never questioned is the underlying assertion that the, you know, to get rid of Jews. Uh, th- that's never discussed. It's whether it should be the judiciary, whether it should be the Gestapo, whether it should be the police, whether it should be this. We do not want to get there, folks. So again, if there's one thing you take away from this program, it's, um, and it, particularly in faith communities, because you know that they use faith as uh, a way of justifying this. And all of those people are perpetrating transphobia, um, uh, anti-Semitism, a lot of them, in fact, most of them call themselves Christian, don't they? They do. They do. Yeah. And so it hasn't, it hasn't gone away. Not, uh, yes, uh, we should be paying reparations for residential schools, but we should also right now and right here, especially in our churches, um, but also everywhere, um, be very, very cognizant of this and counter it. Do not be silent. Preach. Preach, Sherry. Preach. (laughs) And that too. Um, Well, maybe we'll call it a day on the Radical Reverend Show. Again, just a reminder to all of of you. I mean, this show, as many others, have come about partly because of response from you. So keep uh, keep your comments, questions, and suggestions coming. Uh, We always respond here. Until next time on the Radical Reverend Show. So hard, don't nobody know my trouble but God. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. Oh, Lord, trouble so hard.